This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW expands its strike to another key truck assembly plant. Ford lays off hundreds more workers, and Hyundai looks to build a new plant in Saudi Arabia. Plus, the latest episode of our podcast series, Driving to Zero, evaluates some of the biggest tech breakthroughs that could steer the industry towards carbon neutrality. It's not that hydrogen is, is coming, hydrogen is now. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The UAW has ordered 6,800 union members at Stellantis to strike the company's largest assembly plant. The strike at the automaker's Sterling Heights assembly plant north of Detroit halts output of the automaker's profitable Ram 1500 pickup. In a statement, the union said, quote, Stellantis has the worst proposal on the table regarding the wage progression, temporary worker pay, and conversion to full-time, cost of living adjustments, and more. UAW President Sean Fain also cryptically mentioned Sterling Heights during his strike update last Friday. Stellantis has its issues as well. They're still at a four-year progression. They're still at just $20 for temp workers. They've rejected all increases to retiree pay. I know plenty of members at Sterling Heights Assembly Plant and in Kokomo, Indiana, who aren't going to like that. During that live stream, Fain said that Stellantis had upped its wage offer. All three automakers are now proposing 23% pay increases for most employees. Sterling Heights is Stellantis' only source of the current generation Ram 1500. The abrupt move is the UAW's first expansion of the strikes since October 11th when it added Ford's Kentucky truck plant. That plant builds Super Duty pickups as well as the Ford Expedition and Lincoln Navigator large SUVs. More than 40,000 UAW members are now on strike. Meanwhile, Ford says it's laying off 364 more workers in Ohio and Michigan. On Friday, the automaker said, 354 workers at Sharonville Transmission in Ohio and 10 workers at Rossonville Components in Michigan are being told not to report to work starting today. Both plants supply parts for Ford's Kentucky truck plant, which has been shut down since the UAW ordered workers there to go on strike earlier this month. In total, about 3,100 Ford workers have been laid off because of the strike. That's the most among the Detroit Three. We might get a clearer picture of some of the strikes' ripple effects this week when General Motors and Ford report third-quarter earnings. The strikes are expected to have done little damage to results for July through September, but guidance for the fourth quarter may be telling. Toyota seems to have limited the effects of an explosion at a supplier plant that halted production. 
The automaker says it will gradually restart operations at several of its plants in Japan that were forced to reduce output. The automaker plans to have completely resumed production by Thursday at all plants that have faced disruptions. Beginning Tuesday morning, three production lines across two plants will resume operations, followed by four lines across three plants in the evening. Toyota says the last remaining production line will go back online Thursday morning. And Hyundai Motor Group will build a car plant in Saudi Arabia. It will join electric vehicle maker Lucid Motors in producing cars in the oil-rich kingdom. Hyundai will build the factory jointly with the Public Investment Fund, Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. A joint statement says the plant will have an annual production capacity of 50,000 electric and internal combustion vehicles and will be the first South Korean automotive factory in the Middle East. The Saudi fund will hold a 70% stake in the new joint venture, with Hyundai holding the remaining 30%. Total investment for the project is estimated to exceed $500 million. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, the UAW strike seems like it's getting worse before it's getting better. How big of a blow is this to Stellantis with Sterling Heights now on strike? It's pretty significant. You know, this is one of their really big plants here in the U.S. As we reported, the the sole source of the Ram 1500. So, you know, really vital for that brand, really important revenue generator for the company. It's sort of a counterweight of the UAW expanding uh, the strike against Ford to include the Kentucky truck plant. Sean Fain has mentioned, uh, said he very nearly called a strike on the Arlington plant in Texas, which is GM's big money maker that makes big SUVs. As he said, he's got more cards to play, and we're starting to see him. Interested to see the next step. Coming up, which technology breakthroughs could propel the industry's effort to cut carbon? We'll hear about it next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised, shut down immediately. 
stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Recently, President Joe Biden announced seven projects selected to split $7 billion in funding to create regional clean hydrogen production hubs across the U.S. He touted hydrogen as one of the technologies that will help the United States get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050, and he specifically noted industries that are critical for automakers, including steel and aluminum producers. Hydrogen is one of multiple technologies that we evaluate in our latest episode of Driving to Zero, the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. Our own Jake Neer talks with some key players at the forefront of these technologies. What are we looking at here? So we've got a couple different hydrogen storage solutions that you're looking at. Charles Chappelle is the engineering director for Forcia Hydrogen Solutions, which is part of global auto supplier Forvia. We're at the company's clean mobility division in suburban Detroit, looking at a couple of cylindrical tanks. The closer you look, the more clear it becomes, these are not just your everyday run-of-the-mill tanks. There's a tremendous amount of technology that goes into uh, our hydrogen storage system. So if we start just with the tank technology, which is what you're looking at here, uh, this is what's called a type four hydrogen storage tank. So it has a plastic liner, and then we wrap that plastic liner with a composite with carbon fiber. And so this is what allows us to get to such extreme pressures that you see in today's modern uh, hydrogen storage systems. So this system operates at 700 bar, which is just over 10,000 PSI. You know, if you were gonna try to do this with, uh, I don't know, a steel tank or other materials, you know, maybe more conventional tank that you'd see in, in a car or another system, why would that not work for something like hydrogen? So it's really all about weight and the weight of the system is critical. So if you were to try to store hydrogen at 700 bar in a steel tank, what you would end up with is a tank that was extremely heavy and only stored a small amount of hydrogen because the thickness of the steel container would be so thick, right? We're talking even just to store a couple of kilograms of hydrogen, you you would be talking like six or eight inches thick steel in order to contain that kind of pressure. And that's why we use the carbon fiber is really to get the mass down and enable these types of systems to go onto vehicles. These tanks are just over seven feet long and 27 inches in diameter. They'd be used in class eight over the road trucks. We're talking the biggest of big rigs and they'd fit right in the space where the diesel tanks would otherwise be. This is the exact kind of application you hear a lot about for hydrogen in the auto industry these days. But Forcia is also working on smaller tank systems for light vehicles as well. The system that you see here is the system that we make for Stellantis. And one of the interesting things, and I always tell people this, you know, it's, it's not that hydrogen is, is coming, hydrogen is now, right? It's happening right now. So these systems are in production in Europe. Uh, you can buy one of these in um, a small light commercial vehicle application. And in this case, it's a really interesting design because Uh, 
what we did here was to design this system to fit in the same space as the battery does. So uh, Stellantis has two variants of that same vehicle, one that is a fuel cell vehicle, another one that is a pure BEV. Charles says that decision between a battery or a fuel cell comes down to how you're using the vehicle. Imagine if you are a utility company, right? And, and you've got a lot of these class five, six type trucks out there. Um, these trucks also are oftentimes towing like a huge spool of wire or a trailer with uh, some kind of excavator on it. And as soon as you hook up a trailer to one of those uh, battery electric class fives, for example, you lose about 50% of your range. And so this is where we're seeing the OEMs and fleet operators having strong interest in hydrogen because what we can do with a hydrogen system is allow that vehicle to have a very, very similar range to what you get with a diesel vehicle. Of course, here's where money really comes into play. The economics of hydrogen are fairly complex, so we'll have to stick to some generalities here, but safe to say beyond the cost of the vehicle and the infrastructure, which is a whole other issue, the cost of the fuel itself is a major consideration with hydrogen. In heavy transport, for example, hydrogen starts to make a lot of sense, even at current diesel prices, assuming that, that diesel doesn't go up again, at around $5 per kilogram. Although it depends heavily on where you are in the world and what kind of production source you have, most hydrogen today is already below $5 a kilogram. Well, cool, problem solved for heavy transportation, right? Well, here's where things get a little more complicated. Although hydrogen is a zero emissions fuel, making hydrogen in the first place requires some kind of energy. And most hydrogen today is made using natural gas or other fossil fuels. That's typically cheaper than what's called green hydrogen, which is made using renewable sources. Green hydrogen usually costs anywhere from $3 to $7 per kilogram. But Charles says the economics changed significantly with the Inflation Reduction Act last year. For a lot of people, that was a tipping point, right? Uh, because now they can see a pathway. If they were on the uh, user end, for example, now they see that there's a lot of investment happening in green hydrogen production and transport. He says the production tax credit for hydrogen in the Inflation Reduction Act can reduce the cost of hydrogen production by up to $3 per kilogram, depending on the carbon intensity score of the hydrogen you're making. If you talk to anybody who's in the hydrogen business, they see that as the most important piece because what that's doing is enabling a lot of companies to get into the hydrogen generation business, right? Because they see a picture where they can make a profit. And to me, that's the most important because nothing happens without the ability to have enough green hydrogen in the market to enable this. Plus, remember President Biden's announcement at the beginning of the episode? The one about the hydrogen hub funding through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. You know, there's another $8 billion there for that activity. And that activity is focused on these groups where they need to demonstrate that they've got hydrogen generation, the ability to transport that, and an end user. 
right? And so it's providing a good template to be able to show people, you know, how you can make hydrogen, how you can transport it, and then what are the right end uses for that hydrogen in order to really maximize the amount of decarbonization that you can get. So what does that all mean for for Via's business? For us, what we've seen is a lot of the automotive OEMs who are kind of on the fence about hydrogen launching hydrogen projects, right? And, and that's what drives our business. We've seen the, the number of RFQs uh, significantly increase in the last year because, you know, certainly two years ago, if we look back where we were at kind of as this small startup, there was some interest out there, but it was in these niche areas. Um, most of the players were, were smaller folks that were new to the industry, right? Not your, your entrenched uh, big automotive OEMs. That's changed completely in the last 18 months. Pretty much every OEM that makes medium and heavy duty trucks has a hydrogen program uh, at this point. It just so happened that the day I spoke with Charles, Forvia was officially opening its first high volume plant in Allongeois, France, which he says will be able to make 100,000 or more hydrogen tanks per year. It's a major development in terms of capacity and resource allocation for the supplier, and it says a lot about where it sees hydrogen going in the near future. You know, we're targeting strong growth, and we've invested almost $400 million in our hydrogen activity to date. You know, in the, in the coming years, we'll see that investment pay off, right, with, with growth of our business. Driving to Zero is a podcast from Automotive News exploring the auto industry's attempts to cut carbon emissions. The latest episode is available now, and it looks at the tech breakthroughs that could help propel those efforts. In addition to hydrogen, we also look at solid-state battery technology, vehicle-to-grid systems, and more. You can find Driving to Zero wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Vince Bond Jr., Lindsey Van Hulley, and Michael Martinez for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on the UAW strike, tech and innovation, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Cars Commerce President Doug Miller. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 